the Bible this morning. And in your Bible, find Exodus 20. We're jumping back into the Ten Commandments. We took a break last week for our marriage conference. We also had Dr. Lawless preaching Sunday morning. And this morning, we're jumping back to finish what we started in the Ten Commandments. So a couple of weeks back, we talked about the first four commandments. This morning, we're going to talk about the last six commandments. There are some notes in the bulletin. If you want to follow along there, you can do that. Before we jump in and read the passage again, the exact same verses we looked at a couple of weeks ago, let's just review a few basic things that we put on the table two weeks ago just to make sure we're all square on the passage that we're looking at, even though we're looking at it from a different perspective this morning. We'll start with this. The first four commands focus on our obligation toward God. We talked about those a couple of weeks ago. The last six commands focus on our relationship toward our neighbor. So sometimes you'll hear uh, theologians, Bible commentators, Bible scholars talk about the two tables of the law, and this is what they're talking about. The first four that describe our obligation toward God and the last six that describe our obligation toward our neighbor. Jesus recognized this division in the law when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He quoted the book of Deuteronomy and he quoted the book of Leviticus, but he's also reflecting this picture you see in the Ten Commandments of first, you have an obligation toward God, and second, you have an obligation toward your neighbor. Another thing on your notes is the idea that these words are God's words. They're not just something Moses made up to try to keep the people in line, but this is God speaking to the Hebrews, and they're spoken to Israel after they'd been rescued from slavery in Egypt. This idea is really important because the picture you see in Exodus is not God coming to these folks and saying, I'm going to give you a, th- a list of things to do. If you can do them really well, or if you can score a certain percentage, then I'll free you from your slavery. The picture is exactly the opposite. God freely and sovereignly swoops down into Egypt, pulls these people up as if it was uh, rescue on the wings of eagles, Moses says, takes them to safety, and then he says, this is what I expect of you. So he didn't give these commands to Israel so that they could earn their salvation. Later this morning, we're going to talk about why did he actually give the law to his people. But right now, we just take off the table the idea that he gave them the law so that they could earn something with him. The Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy 5. You find them twice in the Old Testament. We're looking at Exodus 20, this first occasion when God spoke to the people. You see them repeated in Deuteronomy 5. All of these people have died. Their children have been raised up. They're getting ready to finally go into the promised land, and Moses gives them the law a second time. That's what the book of Deuteronomy or the word Deuteronomy literally means, second law. And he's giving them those commands. What's interesting is that when you compare Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they're almost identical word for word, no change at all, except the command about the Sabbath, commandment number 4. And in that command, you see one interesting difference. In Exodus 20, Moses tells the people, as God is speaking to them, you will observe the Sabbath because God created in six days and then he rested. So you're going to acknowledge God on this Sabbath day as your creator. When Moses gives the law to the next generation in Deuteronomy 5, this second giving, he says you will keep the Sabbath and you will keep it holy because the Lord your God rescued you from slavery in Egypt, meaning you're going to acknowledge God as your Savior 
or as your Redeemer. And both of, the, both of those ideas come together as we celebrate the Lord's Day today and we say we need to acknowledge God, as Tyler just said, for who He is, the Creator. We also need to acknowledge Him for what He's done. He saved us from sin. The big idea we talked about last week, I just want to remind you, and I'll put it up on the screen, God calls His people to love Him with all their heart, soul, and all their might. That's straight out of Deuteronomy. That's from last week, the first table. Here's the big idea for the second table of the Ten Commandments. God calls his people to love their neighbor as themselves. Calls us to love him first, and then secondly, to love our neighbor, to love other people. So we're going to read the passage, and then we'll talk about the commands a little bit and how we make sense of them and why God gave us these commands in the first place. So follow along, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. That's the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we read these famous words, words that Maybe we've memorized words that we see displayed in various places, words that maybe we were taught as a children, maybe words that we are not at all familiar with, we've only heard of or know about. Father, as we come to this passage, as we think about the Ten Commandments, this great summary of your law given to your people, give us eyes to see the truth, 
Father, give us hearts that bend to your word and submit to your word. Father, and help us to run in faith and love and worship to Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So last week I told you about a guy named Lynn Westmoreland. I don't want to repeat the whole story, but this is the congressman who wanted the Ten Commandments displayed in the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives and co-signed a piece of legislation to make that happen. He went on the Colbert Report with Stephen Colbert, and he was talking about this law. They invited him on, and I don't know if he didn't see it coming or if he just, I don't know what happened. He just had a bad day, but Stephen Colbert asked him, could you please name the Ten Commandments? Since you think it's so important for them to be displayed, could you please name them? And it really caught him off guard. He got really embarrassed, and he came up with a whopping three out of ten on national television. Three out of ten. And I told you this story, and we sort of maybe had a lighthearted chuckle about it. I wonder how many of you heard that story and secretly thought to yourself, I don't know if I could get three. Or I don't know if I could get over half. Or I don't know if I could get all of them. And I wonder how many of you heard that story and went home and said, you know what, just in case I'm ever put on the spot, maybe I should learn those Ten Commandments. You've had two weeks to learn them. How many of you would be confident to come up on the stage this morning to be given a microphone and to tell us the Ten Commandments. Just show of hands. How many really would be confident to do that, knowing that you could get all of them? Trey Dennard says he could do it. He's ready. Not a whole lot of hands. A few hands over here. All right, look, if you can count to ten, using your fingers, cheating with your fingers, you ought to be able to remember the Ten Commandments. So put your Bible down. I don't say that very often in church. Put your Bible down. That's a sign of a good church if you don't hear that very often. Put your Bible down. Get your fingers ready, okay? We're going to count to ten. For each commandment, we've done this before, but it's been a while, you're going to use one finger for the first commands, two fingers for the second command, three fingers for the third command. Here we go, okay? Really, really easy. You should never, ever forget them again. If you ever end up on The Daily Show or The Colbert Report or whatever, you're going to ace it. You're going to do great, okay? Number one, only one God. You'll have no gods before me, only one God, okay? Number two, you make a pair of scissors, and you say, we're cutting out idols. Get rid of the idols, okay? You will not make a graven image, no idols. Number three, you got three fingers. We'll say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're going to put it up in front of our mouth, and we're going to say we always use God's name with respect. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, Father, Son, or Spirit, okay? That's number three. Only one God, cut out idols, we're going to use God's name with respect. Number four, you're going to turn it upside down. You're going to make a little family, and they're going to walk to church because they're keeping the Sabbath holy. They're going to church, okay? Little family going together. Number four, here we go, okay? Only one God, cutting out idols, use God's name with respect, keep the Sabbath holy. Number five, I think this one is real sign language. The rest are land and sign language, but this one's real sign language. Honor your father and your mother. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, this is the one kids like the most. You put five on this side, one on this side, and you make a gun, and you fire it. (laughs) Do not murder. Okay, number six, do not murder. Got six, fired off, no murdering, okay? Number seven, 
You're going to make the ground with five, and you're going to take husband and wife two, and you're going to say, be faithful to your spouse. You will not commit adultery, husband and wife, okay? Only one God. You cut out idols. You use God's name with respect. You keep the Sabbath holy. You honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Number eight, fold your thumbs in. Because if you go to Saudi Arabia and you steal, they're going to chop your thumbs off. So you say, do not steal. Number eight, do not steal. That's an easy one. No stealing. Number nine, you're going to put up five here and you're going to hold up four here and you're going to sort of tell the lie saying, this is all I got. I'm showing you all I got. But you're keeping one back. So number nine is do not lie. And number 10, don't get the gimmies. I want, I want, give me that, give me that. Super, super easy, real quick. Only one God, cut out idols, use God's name with respect, keep the Sabbath holy, honor your father and your mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, be faithful to your family, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet, okay? Super easy, now you've got them. Yeah. Let me tell you on the heels of that little exercise, one of the saddest stories in the Bible, and they have to do with those commandments. One day, we read in the Gospels that a rich young man approached Jesus. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at this guy, and he says to him, you know the commands. If you would inherit eternal life, keep the commands. And the guy, I don't know if he got cute with Jesus, or I don't know if he was really asking a genuine question, but he looked at Jesus and he says, which ones? Which ones? Now, I don't think Jesus got his hand signs out. I don't think he needed to do that. I need to do that. You may need to do that. Lynn Westmoreland, somebody should teach Lynn Westmoreland the hand signs. But Jesus didn't need to do that. He did just sort of start ticking through the commands, and he went six, seven, eight, nine, and then he looped back to five. So he said, well, you know, there's the one about murder, six, and there's the one about adultery, seven, and there's the one about stealing, eight, and there's the one about lying, nine, and then he loops back and he says there's the one about father and mother, five. Let's just start with those. And the rich young man looks at Jesus and he says this, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done them all since I was a young person. And it's one of the saddest lines in the whole Bible. When this guy looks at Jesus and says to him, I have kept all of those commands since I was a young child. You wonder where his mother was because she would have slapped him around, right? I don't think so. And you listen to Jesus' response and it reminds us of how gracious he is. How merciful he is that he didn't just reach out and slap the guy. He didn't sarcastically laugh at the guy. Like, are you serious? You've kept the commands 
perfectly since you were a youth. Jesus knew this young man and he knew his heart. And he knew that while he had this external sort of superficial obedience to 6, 7, 8, 9, and 5, he really hadn't kept them, but he just he felt like he had done a good job. Jesus looked at him and he knew you really have a problem with 1, 2, and 3. With only having one God. And with not worshiping idols and with using God's name with respect. Because the problem with you is that you say you worship the Lord, but you really worship money. That's the most important thing in your life. To go back to a previous series on Sunday morning, we'd say that's your little G God. And so the man looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, good teacher, all these I've kept since my, since my youth. What else do I need to do? So rather than slap him or rather than laugh at him or rather than be hateful to him, Jesus, in compassion, looks at this young man and he says, okay, if you want to get serious, what you need to do is deal with commandment one, two, and three. You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The story says that the rich young man walked away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus let him walk away. It's a a terribly sad story. When you read it and you think about how incredibly unaware the rich young ruler was, completely oblivious to his own sin and his own shortcomings. And the reason that he's oblivious and unaware of the sin in his life is because he's unaware of what God's law really requires of his people. And he's looking at it with this superficial lens saying this, this, this. Okay, I've done pretty good at those. Tell me something else that I need to do. And in the end, he walks away sad, completely unaware of how desperate his situation really is. My prayer for you and for me this morning is that as we finish up a second Sunday of talking about the Ten Commandments, we don't walk away completely, blindly, ignorantly unaware of what it is that God's law actually requires of us, but that we understand what we're reading and what the obligations are that God is placing on His people. We understand how we've fallen short, and then we step back to make sense of why did God give us this law in the first place? What in the world am I supposed to do with this law that I've broken so terribly? And so we're going to start with this. I'm going to start with some rules for interpreting the Ten Commandments. You can call them rules for interpreting the rules. How do you make sense of the Ten Commandments? I'm going to give you five rules quickly. The first one we'll call the inside-out rule. The inside-out rule. This is the idea that uh, the commandments, the obligations they place on you, they're not just external religious duties, but they're all matters of the heart. Jesus made this point in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about murder and lust. And he said, look, you think you've done so good because you've never committed adultery or you've never murdered anybody, but in your heart, there's a great, great problem. He wasn't saying that lust or anger was just as bad in every way, shape, and form as adultery and murder. What he's saying is there's more to the command than just external conformity. There's a heart issue that you've got to wrestle with. So the inside-out rule. Number two, the positive-negative rule. This is the idea that every time we read a prohibition in the Ten Commandments, there's also an understood or implied obligation 
And the, the opposite is true. If you're called to do something positively, there's also a prohibition. So it goes both ways. So we see this, for example, in the Sabbath law, where we're, said, we're told, this is what you are to do, six days you work. This is what you are not to do, then you rest. You see it in the command about telling the truth, where it's just a, a, a negative prohibition. Do not bear false witness. Well, positively, you need to be people of the truth. So we take the positive, and we understand that there's a negative, and we take the negative and understand there's a positive. We make sense of all the commandments that way. Number three, we'll call the category rule. The category rule. This is the understanding that the Ten Commandments are not the exhaustive list of what God calls His people to do. Rather, each commandment stands for an entire category of issues or sins. When we read about the command not to make idols or the command to, to use God's name with respect or the command to keep the Sabbath day holy, we understand, look, our obligations in worship are not limited just to those, but those commands stand for an entire category of how we worship God. We don't get to determine how we worship God. God gets to determine that. When you look at the command not to commit adultery, you say there's all sorts of other sexual sins that a person commit. That command stands as a category, as a head for all of the others, and there's other things implied rather than just saying, well, it's narrowly just a call not to commit adultery. So that's the category rule. Number four, the brother's keeper rule. The brother's keeper rule. This is in the Sabbath. It's built into the Sabbath command. Not only are you called to do it, but you're called to help other people do it. Not only are you called not to do something, but you're called to help other people not to do something. There's an obligation outside of your own life to help other people in these areas. Number five, the biblical rule. The biblical rule. That's just the idea that we use the entire Bible to understand what the Ten Commandments mean. We don't limit ourselves just to Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but we use all of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, to make sense of what these commands are actually calling us to do and the kinds of people that they're calling us to be. Those are just five simple rules. In my original preparation for this sermon, my plan was we're going to take each of the commands and walk through them applying these rules. And think through some of the obligations that may not be obvious or some of the prohibitions that may not be obvious and try to apply these things to our lives. And I started hammering that out and coming up with ideas, and it was just way too long. We'd have been here all day long. We're going to do this in the fall. On Wednesday nights in the fall, we're going to move very slowly through the Ten Commandments. We're going to take them one at a time. And we're going to apply all these rules, and there's other rules you can use in in interpreting the Ten Commandments, and we're going to really dig deep on each and every command and make sense of what is God calling his people to do and not to do in the Ten Commandments. This morning, rather than do that, I just want to acknowledge that we've broken these commands. Don't be ignorantly unaware like the rich young ruler and have the audacity to walk into the presence of Jesus and say, all of these I have kept since my youth. Really? Externally and internally? And positively and negatively? And everything that fits under that category? And helping your brother to do the same in in all situations? And listening to to what all of the Bible says about these issues, you've done all of that perfectly. Really? He hadn't. And neither have I. 
and neither of you. And when you just take a minute to to think about how did the biblical writers understand the Ten Commandments? How did Jesus understand the Ten Commandments? And then you look in that mirror, you walk away realizing, i got a problem. I've broken all of these. There's not a single one that I've kept perfectly. This is the point on your notes. When we understand what the Ten Commandments actually require, we realize the seriousness of our sin. And that's what was missing for the rich young ruler. Look, I think if Jesus had really pressed him, I don't think this guy would have said to Jesus, I have never, ever, ever sinned. I'm sinless and perfect and completely righteous. I don't think he would have said that. I just don't think he felt the weight of his sin. I don't think he had any understanding of what God was really calling his people to do and who he was calling them to be. And the result is he looked at his life and he said, hey, I'm doing pretty good on that stuff. Can you give me something else? When you realize what God is calling us to do and who he's calling us to be in the Ten Commandments, you feel the seriousness, you feel the weight of your own sin. Let's look at just a couple of passages. This is the first one we'll look at. Hunter read this earlier, Galatians 3.10. It says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All things. And if you don't do all of the things and you don't abide by them, that means day in and day out living, Paul says in Galatians 3, you're cursed. Now, I don't know what pops into your mind when I start talking about a curse. Maybe some of you go to like Harry Potter and you think of some kind of silly spell. Somebody put a curse on you, a hex on you, something like that. That's not what we're talking about. Some of you may go to sports and think about, well, this team was cursed. So for a lot of years, the Red Sox were not able to win a a World Series, and we talked about the curse of the Bambino. They traded Babe Ruth away, and they never could win after that, and then finally the curse was broken. Or if you're a Cubbies fan, we talked about the curse of the Billy Goat. This guy brought a billy goat to a game one night and they kicked him out and he left and he was so mad he put a curse on the cubbies and they never could win a World Series again. So maybe that's what you think of when you think of curse, some kind of little silly sports thing. That's not what we're talking about. When Paul says in Galatians 3, put it up one more time for us. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. What Paul is saying is, if you have not kept the commands perfectly and abided in them, all of them, you find yourself under God's wrath, under his anger, under his hot indignation towards sin. That's a place you do not want to be. That's not at all like a silly magical spell or some sort of jinx in sports that we call a curse. That's a real curse. Literally, we could say, you're damned. That's the idea. You're under the divine curse. So there's Paul in Galatians. Let's listen to James in James chapter 2. James says this, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it, to which every living, breathing American, their heart still pounding in their chest, reads that verse and says, That's not fair. James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Meaning, God gave the laws. 
You break one, you're a lawbreaker. That's the point. If you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And for some reason, as Americans, we hear that and we say, spiritually, that's not fair. But you know it's fair. You know it's fair. Because if you were to go out and rob a bank tomorrow, and you found yourself before a judge, and the judge is questioning you, and you said to the judge, Your Honor, I would like to let you know how many old ladies I've helped across the street in my life. The judge is going to say, well, that's irrelevant. And if you raise your hand to the judge and say, Your Honor, I would just like to clarify for the court that I have never perjured myself in a court of law. It doesn't matter. You're a lawbreaker. You find yourself under the authority of the law, and you have broken the law. And so James just kind of cuts through the fog. We can argue about, have you kept them or have you not kept them? Are you like the rich young ruler? Are you confused, yes or no? And James says, look, 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 look. If you've broken one, you're accountable to the lawgiver. Because the same lawgiver gave this command as gave that command. So you may think you're A-OK over here, but you're not OK over here, and you know it. You're accountable. You're a lawbreaker. So there's Paul and there's James. Now let's listen to John. 1 John chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God. Now, I look at you guys this morning and I say, you guys look like people who love God. You look like the kind of people that would raise your hand if we took a poll and said, how many of you love God? I think most of the hands would go up. I love God. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. Not just that he's confused, not just that he's off track a little bit. John is pretty black and white here. You say you love God, but you hate your brother. Well, you're lying. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's John going all the way back to the Ten Commandments and saying, look, there's two tables here. One describes your obligation toward God, and the other describes your obligation toward your brother, toward your neighbor, towards other people. And if you don't take care of table one, don't for a second tell me you've taken care of table two. James says, excuse me, John says, you're a liar. So you listen to Paul, and you listen to James, and you listen to John, And you just sort of step back and you say, okay, I'm in trouble. The people were in trouble. We're in trouble. Why did God give us this law in the first place? What was the point? And it's fascinating to go back and read God giving this law to his people because the very first two leaders of these people, Moses first, Joshua second, both looked at the people in giving them God's laws and saying this is what God expects of you, both of them looked at the people and said, you can't do it. You won't do it. They knew the people. They knew their hearts. They knew their tendencies. They knew their their habits and their routines. They knew them and they said, you can't do them. And so you step back and you say, well, why did he give it to them? Why does he give it to us? We know that we haven't done it, and if we're honest with ourselves, we push away this foolishness of the rich young ruler that we're so prone to sort of say, well, I'm okay. You push that aside, you say, I know I can't do it. 
Why did God give us this law? Let me give you a few thoughts. Number one, God wants to teach us about his character. You remember, these people, the the Hebrews, they had spent centuries in Egypt being indoctrinated by the false religions and the false teaching and the false gods of, of Egypt. And God has brought them out, and he wants them to know who he is. Listen, the Ten Commands and the Ten Little Cute Hand Signs, those are not God just saying, well, ten seems like a good number, let's come up with ten. That's not God saying, let's come up with something that's kind of memorable, because we want it to be memorable for them. It's God saying, I want them to know about me in these commandments. So I'll just put this on the screen. I didn't have room for it on your outline. Each of these commands teaches something about, about God and his attributes. Number one, why should you only have one God? Because God's holy. He's one of a kind. So there should be no one beside him. Number two, why should we not make idols? Because God is spirit. Any idol that you make is not going to capture all that he is. Number three, why should you use God's name with respect? Because he's supremely glorious. His name is too valuable to be taken lightly or, or flippantly. Number four, why should you keep the Sabbath? The text spells it out pretty clearly. He's your creator and he's your redeemer. Number five, why should you submit and respect the authority of your parents? It's because God is the supreme authority. He's sovereign over all. If you can't submit to father and mother, you'll never be able to submit to God. Number six, why should you not murder? It's because God is the giver of life. Not me, not you, not some scientist in a lab, but God is the giver of life. Number seven, why should you not commit adultery? It's because God is faithful. He never betrays his people. Number eight, why should you not steal? It's because God is the provider. He provides for you and he provides for other people. And it's not your place or my place to interfere in that. Number nine, why should you tell the truth? God is truth. He speaks the truth. His people should speak the truth. Number 10, why should you not covet? It's because God is sufficient. Each of these commandments, just step by step, is telling you something about who God is. God wanted the Hebrews to know who he was, and the same thing is true for you, and the same thing is true for me. In giving us this law, God wants us to know who he is. Second reason, God wants to expose our sin. He wants to expose our sins, so he gives us this law. And I'll give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse, and I'll put them on the screen. We'll start in Deuteronomy, okay? Book of Deuteronomy, way towards the end of Deuteronomy, all the first generation from the Exodus is dead. Moses has given this pep talk, this speech. He's given them the law. He's prepped them to go into the land, and he says this right at the end of his life. Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there. Why? So that you can remember the commands? So that you don't forget? Well, those would be good reasons, but look what he says. Put it there as a witness against you. Meaning, when you come to worship and this law is there in the tabernacle, it ought to be a reminder at how miserably you failed at keeping it. It ought to be a reminder of how much you need God's mercy and His grace. It's a witness against you. And Moses says, I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. You see almost the same idea in the New Testament. Look what Paul says in Romans 7. He said, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet 
if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul's saying, I, I come to the law of God and I realize how bad I am. It's like a mirror that I look into. And I think I'm okay. I think I'm a nice person. I think I'm a decent guy. But then I look in the law of God and I realize I'm rotten. I'm rotten to the core. And he cuts straight to the heart with the 10th commandment. All these externals that sound like commandment 1 to 9, things we do externally. And he cuts to commandment 10 that cuts straight to the heart. And he says, look, I read that commandment. It says, do not covet. And I realize I do that all the time. I'm guilty of that. Look, the law of God for you and me ought to be like a mirror that you hold up and you look at it and you realize, I got stuff all over my face. I'm a complete mess. I'm worse than I ever thought I was. If this is God's standard, now I realize how far I've, I've fallen, how, how far short I've fallen of that. It exposes our sin. Now look, when you start to get a glimpse of these first two ideas... Who God is. What his character is like. And then you get a glimpse of who you are. As a sinner. You've only got a couple of options on the table. One option would be just despair. Just utter despair. To say if this is who God is and this is who I am. I'm toast. Another option would be to look at it and to say. I don't like this. makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this idea that this is who God is and this is how far short I've fallen. And maybe your response would be to seek out another philosophy or teaching or idea or religion or whatever that would sort of soothe your conscience and make you feel like this divide between you and God really wasn't that bad. Or number three, you can just take the word of God for what it is and say this is who God is and this is who I am and you can allow the law of God to show you your need for Jesus. And that's the next idea on your notes. God wants to drive us to Christ. In showing us who he is, in showing us who we are, we feel this need. We see this need for a mediator, for someone to stand in our place. And Paul describes that exact thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lots of pronouns in that verse. Let's try to fill them in. For our sake, sinners, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's Jesus, God the Son. The Father made the Son to be sin. But Jesus knew no sin. He was sinless. We've been talking over and over in Exodus that the people needed a sinless substitutionary sacrifice. They needed a spotless lamb to be slain. Paul says, this is him. The one who knew no sin, God made him sin so that in Jesus we could become the righteousness of God. And this is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians and this is what he's saying to you. You come to the law and you see who God is. You come to the law and you see who you are and you realize, I got a problem. I got a really, really big problem. The answer to that problem is Jesus. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. He kept the law of God perfectly. All of the tests we ran through of how you interpret the Ten Commandments, he kept it perfectly. None of the prohibitions, all of the obligations. He kept it perfectly, inside and outside. He kept it. 
And at the end of his life, even though he knew no sin, the father took our sin and placed it on the son. And he bore this curse for us, this curse that we read about in Galatians 3. He was cursed for us. Doesn't mean he was jinxed. Doesn't mean he had some silly spell cast on him. It means the wrath of God fell down on God the Son. And he took the punishment for our sins. And the result is a great exchange can take place where our sin is counted as paid for by the sinless sacrifice of Jesus and his righteousness is given to us freely as a gift and counted to our account. Look, when you see who God is and you see who you are and you realize how much trouble you're in, your immediate reaction ought to be running to the cross and trusting in who Jesus is and what he did for you. So God wants to drive us to Christ. The last idea is this. Number four, God wants to show us how to live a life of holiness. How to live a life of holiness. I know we've fouled it up. I know we've messed it up, and I know we're going to foul it up and mess it up. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved through faith. When God's grace gets a hold of you, and you as a result put your faith in Jesus, this exchange takes place. Where your sin is counted as paid for at the cross and his righteousness is counted to your, to your account. That happens by God's grace only when you put faith in Jesus. It is not your own doing, Paul says. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. He did the work, not us. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not saved by our good works, but saved so that we could walk in good works. And you read that verse and you say, well, what are they? What am I supposed to do? How do I know what God expects of me? And we loop all the way back to the law of God and we say, this is it. It's the summary. Commandments 1 to 4, he wants you to love him supremely with everything that you are and everything that you have. Commandments 5 to 10, he wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. He's calling you to walk in a life, in a path, in a manner of holiness. Not so that you could earn anything, but because you've already been given salvation as this gift. And he has prepared beforehand the works that you would walk in. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow. And I just want you to take a minute of quiet to think about the law, the commandments, to think about how you need to respond to God's law this morning.